Thank you for joining us for Focus on the Bible with Dr. Freddie Coyle. In this episode, Dr. Freddie talks about man's attempt to establish utopia and God's coming kingdom. The news is ugly today. Out of the messy chaos and anarchy of these days, there rises a scream of discontent. Evil is present, they say. Fix it at all costs. Man longs for his own utopia. Let's talk about this. Utopia is an imagined state of perfection. The key word here is imagined. It's an imaginary place. It's never been seen in the world since the creation. Yet man still longs for it and has written many chapters in that book of failed utopias. This imaginary state of perfection has never been found and organized by man because man just can't pull that off. Let's look at the history of God and man. In the beginning, God created man. He created Adam outside the garden because the garden didn't yet exist. And then he made the garden and put the man inside. It was from inside the garden then that God created the woman from the man, and he gave Adam a very simple command, Genesis 2.17, as he looked about that beautiful garden, the garden of God's delight, Eden, God commanded Adam in this way, Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam had plenty of good places to eat, the garden was built for his enjoyment and pleasure. It had all the food that Adam would ever need and everything in it for life and happiness. But Adam disobeyed. One short chapter later, God enters the scene again to deal with disobedient man, and God lays out what man's future would be. Genesis three seventeen, And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And so Adam now inherits exactly what God had promised for his disobedience, curses. The cry comes to us today that if God is so good, why is there so much evil in the world? That statement lies arm in arm with the anarchy that we see in the news each day. It's the idea that someone has done wrong to me, therefore many people must pay, even at the expense of the law and peace. But this has always been the case of those who tried to make their own rules. Cain killed Abel and apparently thought he was doing what was right in his own eyes. From the point of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, Cain goes out and shows his appreciation to the mercy of God by creating for himself what we call civilization of Cain. It was an evil place. It was built around the idea that man can achieve apart from God. And that ended six short chapters into the Bible with the flood of Noah. And the whole world had turned its back on God, all except Noah, the righteous preacher, 
and his family who entered into the boat. All others had an opportunity to go with God, to find their safety and security on the ark. But no, said man, it won't be so bad. We think we're okay without the supply of salvation that God has promised. They laughed at Noah and stayed on the ground. They were consumed in the flood. The world then went after its own pleasure in the government that they could create. God had told man that he wanted there to be nations, distinct nations, different nations. And yet man, from Genesis chapter 7 to 11, laid out his own plans. Man would not be divided, they said. Man will come together. Man can unify. Man needs a building project, a project that will glorify man. They decided to build a tower, a tall tower, a tower that would reach into the heavens, a tower that would show the glory of man, a tower, they said, that not even God could flood. And that tower now famously is called the Tower of Babel. The construction of it was stopped cold by one move of God on the checkerboard of our history. This is what happens to utopias planned by man. They ultimately fail. There are three points to consider here. Number one, man wants to create his own utopia. Man has always historically gone against God. The majority has almost in every case in our history been wrong and against the word of God. And yet still man continues to insist that man is his own end, that man can achieve, that man is something apart from God. And today across our world, many have tried in fact to completely erase God, leaving man on his own in charge of our world. Man wants to create his own utopia regardless of the history of the failure of this imagined idea. Number two, utopia cannot and will not exist in this world because man is not perfect. The very building blocks of the imagined idea of utopia is man himself, and man is not perfect. Therefore, the building blocks of utopia are warped. Warped building blocks, all brought together and cemented together, will still make a warped building. Utopia has always proven fruitless and as vain as the son of David promised it would be. Number three, there will be a utopia one day. It won't be built by man, it will be built by God. We have his promises in the Bible. Isaiah in chapter 9 speaks very plainly about the dominant theme of all Old Testament prophecy. You see, the Old Testament prophets couldn't see the church. They couldn't see the rapture of the church. What they spoke of was their passion, the coming kingdom of God the kingdom that was prophesied and promised to them, who could look for a glorious king coming in the heavens with brightness and glory, and he would be the end of all their problems. It was the passion of those who gave us the prophetic books in the Bible. Isaiah spoke loudly and clearly 
about this coming king and the kingdom that he would bring in the world. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2, he said this, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments roiled in blood, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah wasn't finished. In Isaiah chapter 11, he forecasts again what it will be like to live in that perfect kingdom coming from God. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. These are the conditions found in that coming kingdom of God, that awesome place of utopia brought only by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Only He has the vision for man's utopia. Yet He's been rejected in the world. Almost all nations today say that He's unwanted in our world. Our own educational system has tried to disgrace Him in the classroom and make His word null and void, and yet the history has been written, and so has the future. That coming kingdom will come, and no power in all the world, no vain philosophy of man could stop the coming of Jesus Christ. First comes the rapture of the church. The church will not endure Jacob's trouble. And then comes the thousand-year kingdom of Jesus Christ in the world. It will be a perfect government. Not all people during the thousand-year reign will subject themselves to Jesus Christ as king. And yet he will rule and reign with righteousness. In a perfect plan, and a perfect vision, man will see God as king in the world. Revelation chapter 20, John, 
the apostle speaks of that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Among our theologians today, many of them deny that there will even be this thousand-year reign of Christ. But everyone who studies the Bible should read for themselves and make up their own mind. Will there be a 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ in the world, or will there not? We should focus on the Bible and find our answer regardless of what the theologians say. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 1, John records it like this, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ in the world will end in a great war. Jesus Christ himself, the victor in that war, will deliver that kingdom to his Father. We have the word of Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about what happens next with the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says it like this in verse 24. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. This friend ushers in the mighty, eternal kingdom of God. God will be our king forever. Friend, you could be a part of that kingdom. These days of darkness and shadows and evil will give way to the righteous rule of God forever but only those whose faith is in Jesus Christ will be a part of that kingdom. Thanks again for joining us for Focus on the Bible. We hope this episode was beneficial to you. If you have a question about this episode or another topic, you can mail them to Focus, P.O. Box 498, Danielsville, Georgia, 30633.